0: microphone check one two three city city sibilance sibilance levels check good sounds good one two three rolling and
1: the world runs on stories and i think no one knows that more than documentary filmmakers you know story is king and that translates over very well
0: to to reality tv Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I'm your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 137, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film and The Documentary Life Podcast. Although it seems to be getting better all the time, now that documentaries become such an accepted form of film and TV entertainment, I think that most of us realize that making a living doing documentary films alone is not the case for most documentary filmmakers. In fact, I can probably count on one hand how many guests that we've had on the program that are able to completely sustain themselves making documentary films. Because of this, I often get asked about ways that documentary filmmakers can make an income outside of documentary or as a supplement to documentary, thereby allowing us all to continue making our documentary films. One of the first things that comes to mind is working in television, specifically reality television. I know a lot of you may shudder to think about having to work in an industry that often seems entirely contrived and really quite the antithesis in, in many ways to the authenticity of documentary. Images of The Bachelor, Jersey Shore, Survivor, or The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills <laughs> immediately come to mind as uh, deplorable, cheap, and really popular forms of reality TV. Now, A number of colleagues and good friends of mine, all doc filmmakers, worked on Little People, Big World here in Portland, Oregon, as did I. Many people in the film and TV industry here have worked on the show at one time or another. The things I could tell you about that family, let's just say that they don't necessarily get along the way in which they've been portrayed, which of course is exactly the stigma that has formed over the years about reality TV. And no doubt why you're probably thinking, why the hell would I want to work in reality TV? How is that really going to be me practicing my documentary craft? Well, I'll leave that to our upcoming documentary industry guest, Joe Litzinger, the executive producer behind some of today's most popular nonfiction on TV. A handful of years ago, I was hired on another commercial venture for a reality series called Best Bottle. One of the biggest reasons that I was hired was because of my documentary experience. It was hoped that I would bring documentary sensibilities, in particular bringing some honest authenticity to both my interviewing style and off-the-cuff storytelling decision-making. For the most part, it was a lovely experience. It really was. I worked with a large crew, had lots of toys at my disposal. The characters were all very lovely, humble people, i.e. they weren't all wannabe actors and models. I was able to get to know these people in a way that allowed me to best draw out their qualities that would make the right fit for what we were looking for with the show. The way in which I conducted interviews, the cameras and shooting styles, the interaction between myself and my subjects, all were very reminiscent of experiences that I often had with documentary filmmaking. That being said, I was surrounded by a crew that was roughly 20 times the size of my normal documentary crew. I was working with expensive camera, lighting, and sound gear. We even had a crane on set. But documentary elements, styles, approaches were still very much at the heart of this thing. I did something on a much smaller scale in Cambodia years ago when I produced and directed a TV spot for a brand new resort through our production company, Barong Films. I used documentary-style interviewing and played with some filmmaking tools that at the time were fairly new. We even had a crane and a dolly fabricated while we were in the capital city and they actually somehow worked and it didn't break our budget in the process, which is amazing. I was able to experiment with a number of these tools in a way that I may not have had the leisure to do had I been hired on a bigger budgeted, more streamlined production. But my point in this is that I most definitely brought a documentary filmmaking approach to this commercial. Actually, the gentleman that I made the spot with who is also a documentary filmmaker, he makes much of his living producing litigation videos. That is he makes videos for clients that want video documentation of their stories that will be used in courtroom settings. Oftentimes along with extensive interviewing, he is even making reenactments of scenes. Now, this has always fascinated me, and I always enjoy talking to him about this. It seems like such a unique and smart way to employ use of documentary in a type of video production that you might not even know exists, which, by the way, is definitely something to consider. What are some ways in which you might be able to produce documentaries for people or organizations or companies that maybe at the outset doesn't necessarily seem like a documentary venture? Now the most obvious one here is wedding videos, right? Now I know that in the past, there's been this stigma with this kind of work or that they traditionally don't make you much money compared to the amount of time and effort it takes to produce them. However, production costs have come down a bit and documentary approaches are much more desired than the standard cut and paste of behind the scenes of wedding prep, wedding vows, cutting of the cake and Uncle Billy's dance floor moves. People want to hear interesting testimonials about the wedding couple. A little backstory on the two people make for a more interesting approach and more interesting video. The idea here is to think of this literally as a short documentary film. So you're directly employing many of the sensibilities and skills that you also employ in your documentary films to create this intricate, nuanced story of a couple's love and their gathering that celebrates it. Of course, why stop there? Why not make short documentaries celebrating people's lives? It may sound morbid, but a beautiful 10-minute tribute of someone who has passed on can be a lovely way for family and friends to remember their loved one. Or it's not unheard of that an accomplished person might like to have their legacy told so that family and friends and whomever else might know their story, might know their accomplishments or contributions to the world. In the past, there has definitely been money to be made for writers who do this sort of thing, helping tell someone's story for posterity's sake. Another typically dirty word in video production, which thankfully has become more respected over the years, and I think this is directly attributed to slicker tools and the popularity of documentary, is corporate video. Who else to pull out an honest, authentic testimonial than a documentary director who's been honing their interview skills for years? Who else to make an otherwise boring video about Intel's latest and greatest chip product sound like an interesting and revolutionary story of innovation and transformation, but a documentary filmmaker who has a passion for making the types of stories that will resonate with people long after they've seen their film, or commercial or corporate video. So those are a few ways in which one can put their documentary filmmaking skills to other areas of video production that will allow them to make a living and even keep their integrity firmly in place in the process (laughs) speaking of integrity and authenticity we've got documentary filmmaker and reality tv showrunner and executive producer joe litzinger coming up next he will be expanding upon this topic in a way that's probably going to make you want to get yourself on the next set of the latest and greatest reality tv show And that, my documentary filmmaking friends, is all coming up next here on The Real World, uh, The Documentary Life. So you've got a great idea for a documentary film. Awesome. I'd love to hear about it, but I don't have a ton of time. Can you tell me about it in 30 seconds or less? Oh, you don't quite have your pitch down yet. Okay, that's fine. What's your website where I can find more information? Maybe a press kit I can take a look at. You don't have one. Well, have you thought about how you might raise some funds to help with the costs of making films? They can be expensive, right? You haven't. Okay, maybe just tell me about your audience. Who's going to want to see your film? Who will you be marketing it to? You don't know this either. Okay, then I'm going to assume you haven't thought about how you'll be getting your film out into the world then, right? I think I see what's going on here. I was once in your shoes. A great idea for a doc. Camera in one hand, a boom mic in the other. But other than that, not much other than a whole lot of excitement and gumption. And that's great. You'll need all of that. But you'll also need a heck of a lot more if you're looking to make the kind of documentary film that you can be proud of. The kind that people will want to see and will impact them. The kind that won't break the bank while you're making it. And dare I say, you might even make some money from you need support and we've got you covered. We built the Documentary Academy with you in mind. We've got all the resources you need to make a successful documentary film you can be proud of. Come and enroll at the slash academy and let's turn that doc idea into a reality. Joe Litzinger has been a producer, executive producer, and showrunner for some of nonfiction TV's most popular shows, including After the Catch, Black Gold, American Chainsaw, and Life Below Zero. He is also a documentary filmmaker through his company, Interesting Human Media, including his debut doc feature, Will Work for Views, and a current film, Zulu Summer, which had its debut at the Santa Barbara Film Festival and is now available on iTunes and Amazon. Joe, excited to have you on the program. It's, it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I, I'm glad that we could make this happen.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's uh it's uh, an honor.
0: As someone who does listen to the program, you probably have an idea that we like to kind of con- contextualize early on in the conversation how doc filmmaking came to be for our interviewees. So, <laughs> I, I would I would say, what was first for you? Was it working in TV or TV producing, or was it doc filmmaking?
1: Sure. I mean, I think like most people, my first introduction was just watching movies uh, general movies and not even knowing what was real with a documentary. Um, as I of course got older, uh, I discovered that what I responded to more than anything were true stories, or at least at the time, you know, movies inspired by true stories. Then going even further, I found that there was something called documentaries, which were literally true stories without actors. Um, I had always been a fan of documentaries but didn't um sort of move to to la specifically with the goal of working in them you know i, I moved out here yeah. uh looking for any job um <laughs> that yeah, i could find totally. <laughs> and about 15 years ago fell into something called reality tv yeah. which has been what i've been sort of working on on ever since so they to me they're they're interconnected yeah and you know i i think now that i'm sort of firmly planted in both worlds the unscripted reality world and the doc world i i I think there's a um, convergence of them coming together and for a long time Mm. i think they were kind of seen as two separate things reality tv was a bad word for the documentary (laughs) world (laughs) it's like oh you work in reality tv and, and some of that was rightly so, because, uh, you know, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> you and I have uh, both worked on those shows.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> those shows we won't list in our bio. Yeah. But then, you know, also on the other hand, um, I found that even when um, trying to sort of focus a little more towards documentary, um, pure documentary yeah. uh, movies, that there was, there was still a stigma about, about reality TV. I'm hoping what I'm doing and can help do is sort of bridge those worlds together. At least, at least in my career.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think a bit of that has been happening over the recent years. I've seen it on jobs that I've taken, but also even watching some of the program. There, I think that there has been a shift. You know, I, I do believe that a big part of the popularity of doc films. I believe that reality TV, in many ways. Kind of opened the door to some of the mainstream acceptance of doc film, reality TV. In some in some cases, and certainly with some of the programming that that you are doing, I feel like doc filmmaking is kind of giving back to reality TV and positively influencing reality TV now. Would you agree with that?
1: A hundred percent. You know, um, of course, I was thinking about this interview uh, previous to this call and mm. and thinking about that intersection of unscripted TV oh, yeah. and and documentary and probably for a lot of people at least a lot of people you know sort of my generation uh you know the, one of the biggest shows was the real world no oh, of um, <laughs> course i mean that
0: was that was the one
1: <laughs> it was and it's like you know what happens when stop people stop being polite stop getting real <laughs> uh, or start getting real but yeah. uh, you know that was in, i'm sure as you know but inspired by the pbs american family documentary yeah and i, I think those like like you're saying those worlds are coming together and now in reality tv i think there has been a push for authenticity for truth for point of view that documentary brings and things that reveal the human condition yeah and not all shows are have probably a deeper meaning but i think i agree that
0: there is there's some positive influence that is happening for some of the shows Exactly,
1: both in terms of story content, but as well as how they're filmed and how they're shot.
0: Exactly, Uh, and I and I want to get into that a bit. Actually, right now it's a perfect segue. And I've thought a bit about this as well. Obviously, before we before we got on this call, because I've been actually wanting to have this conversation with someone like yourself for a while. Because being someone that also works commercially and works in reality TV as well, I feel like I'm always keenly aware of. Um, trying to, when it's, when it's appropriate and when I, when I believe I'm hired for this, trying to bring my doc filmmaking sensibilities to some of this, right? And, and, and you know pretty quickly when, when and how you can do that and, and if it's appropriate. So my question for you is let's talk about, you know, why and how, how doc filmmakers in many ways are a good fit for, for reality TV programming.
1: A hundred percent. You know, my mentor in the business, this guy named Travis Shakespeare, signs all of his emails with "The world runs on stories," mm. and I think no one uh, knows that more than documentary filmmakers. Mm. You know, story is king, and that translates over very well to to reality. In that, sure, you're you're filming just hundreds of hours, but you still have to tell a story, and it's figuring out how to tell that story in the most truthful and authentic way. But of course, also, like you're saying, sometimes it's a business and it's just finding that balance of those two worlds.
0: You and I have, have a, a friend and colleague in common um, that does a lot of work for you in Life Below Zero. And I know her here in Portland as somebody who's who works in the Portland industry here, but also as a doc filmmaker herself. And a lot of times, which is often the case when doc filmmaking, we have to wear a number of hats all at once when we're out doing doc films and I think that happens a lot and in, in when you're working on reality TV shows as well
1: I think that there are a lot of parallels between those two worlds just like you're saying that um, you do wear a lot of hats out there but fundamentally what I, I think is similar throughout is is understanding and trying to find story story uh, trying to find the truth how you find that truth how you find that story and particularly the resources you have to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might be different depending upon if this is an independent documentary or a commercial television show. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, I-, I do think they're one in the same where story is story. One of the, 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 I think, fundamental differences between the two are resources. Yeah. And when it comes to working on a show like Life Below Zero, there are a lot of resources and money behind each episode Uh, you know the show is probably made by 50 people or so Mm -hmm. from production assistants on up and a lot of input goes into that in terms of film producers and to producers to network execs to um, corporate execs whereas there's sort of a more intimate feel i think in the documentary space but fundamentally I think they're both trying to do the same thing, which is tell a good, authentic, and true story.
0: In remote corners of the Arctic. Uh, There's a certain powerfulness to just being the master of your own destiny. The signs are everywhere. Winter's arriving. It's knocking on the door. The freeze is near. I've learned to give... The weather in Alaska, the highest form of respect. Mother Nature frickin' wins here. I get to see nature in its raw, beautiful, and dangerous moments. I'm not a quitter. The last thing I'm gonna do is give up. So how would one go about getting one of these jobs? If you're an independent doc filmmaker, you know, we obviously have to find many different revenue streams. How would you go about trying to get some work in reality TV? Sure. I
1: mean, there's a lot of websites out there uh, that you can apply for, but I think as anyone who's listening to this no, sometimes <laughs> you don't just feel like you're going into a void there are a lot of entry-level opportunities for doc filmmakers and mm. I think the challenge in Applying for a job or transitioning from documentary filmmaking to reality TV mm. is figuring out the role that you want to play yeah. You know, maybe you have multiple documentaries under your belt. You've been a director and a producer does that translate to an entry-level job in reality TV or mm-hmm. does that translate to an executive producer? And I think it's just navigating that space and figuring out where you want that career to be. Mm-hmm. And also, are you just looking for a, a, a way to pay the bills so that you can continue making your documentary?
0: Absolutely, and a lot of a lot doc lifers do that. And
1: that's wonderful. And in that case, I think there are a lot of opportunities yeah. in the reality TV world from sort of entry level production assistance to logging uh, on up and i think there are people like myself mm-hmm. who recognize the experience of documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. and value that even though they might not have specific television shows on uh, credits on their resume right and and sort of understand where that translates to that there might be for directors and producers opportunities to uh, work in reality TV mm. with that same title, um, like 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 we mentioned, you know, we have a mutual friend who yeah. uh, is a film producer and also works in the documentary world, mm. and I, I think um, there are a lot of opportunities out there uh, for people who are trying to have their documentary life be funded by reality television, like myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we should we should get into right now, because I'm curious for you, Joe, at what point did you at what point did you realize that, you know what, I want to be making uh, I want to be making my own documentary films outside of this work? Um, You know, I I, I shouldn't be presumptuous, but I'm assuming the exciting world of nonfiction TV series perhaps on some level wasn't fulfilling something in you that you knew you could get by doing your own doc films. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm um very fortunate in to have found a living in unscripted television. Yeah. And I've been doing that for a long time. And the my most recent show, uh I've been the showrunner I've been on for eight years and have been the showrunner executive producer for six of those years. Mm. And uh, I'm very proud of that show. And it is the most documentary show I've ever worked on. Oh, wow. It's very fortunate in that the two companies who make it are the BBC and National Geographic. Yeah. I think, uh, at least I can speak for myself, and I imagine for some of the listeners, that those two words are like a documentary filmmaker's dream. Dream. <laughs> <laughs> National yeah. Geographic and BBC. Yeah, of course. I, I, I can't, uh, you can't get any better, Doc. Yeah, uh, it's true. Than, than National Geographic and BBC. Yeah. Um, so, so in that way, I, I, I've been very fortunate. So I think what's happened over the last several years is having a steady income has afforded me the ability to uh, make my own documentaries on the side.
0: Yeah, and I bet that there's downtime. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming life below zero is is you know that's the series you're referring to. What what when is your downtime, and is it during that downtime that I imagine that you're working on your own projects?
1: It is as the the executive producer and showrunner, and yeah. a husband, and somebody with a one year old. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finding downtime, truly helps, leading the doc life, my friends. <laughs> of course, has been a bit of a challenge, um, but there are lunchtime and weekends <laughs> yeah. and and spaces. And I, I would like to point out that through those those through my work on Life Below Zero, yeah, I've been able to meet and collaborate with so many incredible uh, craftsmen and yeah. filmmakers like our friend Crofton, and meeting them has also allowed me to utilize uh, slash beg for help mm. uh, in making my own uh, documentaries. You In bet. fact, the last two documentaries that I made, the co-director of them is an editor on Life Below Zero, Eric Schrader. Yeah. So uh, of course, we only collaborate about our side projects during lunch mm. and. After. <laughs> However, there have been a lot of the people that I work with making my side documentaries yeah. also work at on Life Below
0: Zero. Ah, uh, okay. Great, yeah, makes sense. What what does doc film give you that you don't get from working on a TV series?
1: You know, that's a great question. Uh, both of them require in collaboration. The the TV series is collaborating with a large number of people, yeah, fifty or more. Um, both in terms of to actually make the project, and then also through the creative aspects of it, mm-hmm. uh, from network notes to uh, the producers uh, down, down the line it is a large group of people collaborating on the project mm. What making an independent? Documentary gives me personally is although there is still Collaboration in terms of of course the subjects and on my last two docs for example with my co-director Eric, it's a smaller world of collaboration yeah. and a faster world you're making something, uh, you're shooting it in the field, you're bringing it back, you're watching the footage, you're reviewing it. It's, it's um, I think, the ability to seek out to, to make something and to, to be able to do it and watch it and get it out there all in a way that is true to a, to a singular or, in this case, two people's vision
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. versus 40 or 50 people's vision. which. Right has its own merits and um, you know, I think is very valuable, the collaboration, but sort of singularly making a documentary allows, allows that vision. It is a different kind of energy when you're collaborating from start to finish yeah. with the same core group of, say, two or three people right. versus 50. Yeah. Uh, one is not necessarily better than the other, although one pays the bills. Uh, um, <laughs> right.
0: One <laughs> uh, allows you to do the to the to do the other <laughs> exactly
1: exactly for me personally when it comes to you know the title of the podcast the documentary life it's finding that balance mm. it's finding a way to pay the bills in order to make smaller independent documentaries the the other gratifying thing uh, I find from the independent documentaries and at least what ended up happening with the first two we made, yeah. is not knowing where they're going to go, if they're <laughs> going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you and listeners and everyone can relate that when the team, how do I say that? Um, yeah. When we make Life Below Zero, when it's a team, we know it, it's where it's going to be. It's going to end up on National Geographic at yeah. a certain time and a certain date. Distribution is already, in essence, distribution is already taken care of. Yeah. Um, when you make a documentary, uh, at least how uh, we made the first two, yeah. we, we don't know if it's just going to be. Are we going to be showing this to our family and friends? Are we, <laughs> uh, you know, um, release it independently online? Are we going to get into any festivals? Is anyone going to
0: see it? Oh and yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> it's that excitement and that unknown that uh, I, I also find rewarding in making independent
0: documentaries. Yeah. Well, I have seen your first two films. <laughs> Will Work oh, for good. Views and then, and then Zulu Summer. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time at least talking about Zulu Summer, which I just watched a couple of nights ago. And I, uh, you may or may not have known this, but it spoke to so many of my, let's say, sensibilities um, in terms of story because you were talking about uh a smaller bigger town smaller city america which i'm fascinated by but also even digging more then but but then you're bringing a whole cultural element to it Literally another culture to this town, and you're and you're doing it around a community radio station. And I'm a big, big radio guy. I'm a big community radio guy. So I knew at the outset. I probably there's a good chance I'm going to like this film, and I liked it a heck of a lot more than I than than I even knew. Thank you
1: for watching it. And it's it's no BS that when when you make I'm sure as you know when you make a project and someone actually watches it yeah. one that feels good <laughs> two when they respond to it and the way that you just responded to it it really does mean a lot it's 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 special cuz you know you put your heart and and you put your soul and actual work into making it and it, it feels nice when someone appreciates it so thank you When I first heard about this I greeted it with skepticism. It took me a while to believe that there was any way this could possibly be true, but I'm convinced 85% that this is not a scam.
0: Pretty unbelievable and uh, too good to be true.
1: How did a Zulu prince in South Africa find Butte, Montana?
0: They said they wanted to come to America. It seemed preposterous that a Zulu prince would be contacting me. Joe, I think we might be of similar age. Do you remember it by chance, the the TV show from the late 80s, maybe early 90s as well, called Northern Exposure? <laughs> of course, yeah. I felt like I was watching an episode of—I felt like I was watching Northern Exposure in real life.
1: That's so funny. That's a, a very interesting connection. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. There are those, those um, fish-out-of-water— <laughs> stories, yeah. uh, that, that I, that I respond to and definitely happen
0: within the course of Zulu summer. How did you hear about the story and what's your connection to Butte, Montana?
1: We had previously, which I assume we'll talk about, but made another documentary and started sort of putting it out there that we were looking for interesting people, yeah. sort of doing interesting things in general, wanting to make documentaries at a new year's party. Um, my longtime friend Hava and her boyfriend, Don came up to me and said, We have this crazy story we want to to tell you about to to let you know and see if you're interested. And they told me and instantly was like, yes, interested. When do we go to Butte? Ah, yeah, yeah. So it definitely hit you the right way. It did. And at the time, I didn't know if The Prince was real. I didn't know what the story would be. And again, sort of like we talked about what I respond very well and what I love about independent filmmaking is the unknown uh, aspect of it, we didn't know if the prince's arrival was going to be the end of the movie or yeah. the beginning of the movie. Yeah, right. Maybe they got there and they're boring. Maybe they got there and it's a, a huge cultural conflict. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, but uh, after Hava and Don told me this the story that was happening or de- at the time was yeah. developing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric and I basically said we have to make this movie, and we. Got on a plane and went to Butte to figure it out. It's
0: amazing. How soon after your friends approached you with the idea, how soon thereafter before the prince would fly out to, to Butte?
1: Unfortunately or fortunately, yeah. just a few months later. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, <laughs> of course, normally, uh, as everyone probably listening and yeah. yourself know, I mean, you want pre production and you want uh, the grant process and raise money. Yeah. And, but if, if, uh, you know, the prince's arrival was the story yeah. and, there was no time we got to go <laughs> yeah exactly and too much to um uh eric my, the co-director of of the previous movies uh chagrin we were still in the process of editing the previous movie ah, this,
0: amazing <laughs> yes yes
1: with when this story came and it was uh, oh and simultaneously working on life below zero i was gonna say and right around there i had my uh you know a, a
0: newborn yes uh, <laughs>
1: least a pregnant wife this is um, outstanding
0: yes. <laughs> it sounds familiar and,
1: exactly as I've, I've heard uh, some of your stories and it sounds exactly like that yeah. but you know like we previously talked about story when you hear a story you know story is story and when you hear a story like 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 that there's a South African prince coming to Butte Montana it, it, it's too good to pass up and um, we jumped on it and got out there pretty quickly
0: this has been a great conversation Joe and and I feel like I could you and I could have a lot of these types of conversations, and and I actually hope we do in the future because uh, I think there's a lot of common ground, and I think that there's a lot that people are going to gain from from having conversations with somebody yourself um, who really is embodies the doc life in in many ways. It's awesome. As as we sort of um wrap it up here, Joe, I wonder if there's any sort of parting thoughts or comments that you wanted to share to to our doc filmmakers that either we didn't get to or perhaps you had thought. You know what? When I get on that show with Chris today, this is something I want to tell these guys. I want them to know this.
1: Hmm. I might have said this in some of my previous uh, answers, and and I do think a lot about what is the key ingredient to success, both for the documentary world and the unscripted television. And for me, uh, it really comes down to collaboration Um, and the people that you meet. And we mentioned uh, our mutual friend, Crofton, and and you mentioned, hopefully, uh, you know, you and I will talk more. Um, But one of the things I love about, um, you know, documentary world is how collaborative everyone is. Mm. Things like your podcast where people come on and tell sort of true stories in an effort to share information. And the people that I've met over the years, both on Life Below Zero and now the people in the documentary world having gone to festivals have been so open and so sharing. And there really is a community aspect uh, of making that. And I think finding the right people to collaborate with on whatever project you're working on Mm. has been key for me.
0: Joe, thank you so much for coming on to the program today. I, I, I truly mean this when I say I'd love to have you on the show again sometime in the future.
1: Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for this podcast. For real, it's no bullshit. Like, honestly, man, like, it's been, you know, I, I've been very successful in, relatively speaking, in, in, in the, the reality TV world. Yeah. But when I decided to make my own documentary, it, there, it really, there were some, not closed doors, but just, there was definitely a lot of missing gaps A lot of missing understanding of the process. And your podcast has been very helpful for me over my documentary life.
0: Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.